welcome to Pop Unlock. I'm Landry Yeers. And I'm Natalie Dalzicki. John Hughes is best known for his coming-of-age comedies, 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, and The National Lampoon movies. But in 1990, eight-year-old Kevin McAllister was accidentally left home in Winneka, Illinois, when his entire family flew to Paris for a Christmas time getaway. It seemed like he was living every kid's dream. Here today to talk about the classic holiday movie, Home Alone, is the president of Let Grow and the founder of the free-range kids movement, Lenore Skenazy. Hello there. And the director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute, Michael Cannon. Great to be back. Is Kevin McAllister a hero in this movie? Because he does a lot of things in his treatment of the wet bandits, as they refer to themselves, uh, that I think is justified as as defense of himself and his home. But is there a turn to sadistic torture and sort of disturbed behavior that we might sort of look upon with uh, shock in a child? You know, it, it while it might be legal, what he did, was what he did ethical? Was it the right thing? Uh, it's hard to say whether it would be uh, – some of it might not have been legal. You know, you learn in law school that if someone slips on your walk, you're liable. Uh, and and here's Kevin out there uh, on a freezing cold night uh, p- p- watering down the sidewalk, the steps and the, especially the stairs to the basement door because he wants to trip up these burglars. So now there might be uh, an exception. Uh, it, there might be a self-defense sex, uh, exception there. But uh, some of it is arguably uh, illegal. Um but no, I think that they were always after him, uh, and at the end, they were trying to. Uh, they were threatening to bite off his fingers and do to uh, all sorts of things to him. Uh, uh, they uh, they weren't just after the stuff in the house; they were invading the house in order to uh, to do harm to him as well. And so, I think you could probably and and, and let's be honest, no jury is going to convict Kevin McAllister <laughs> for what he did to the wet bandits. <laughs> Victim for being just too cute at that age. Um. So, aren't can aren't you like the health policy guy? That's right. Yeah. So, how do you know? Like, did you go to law school? How do you know all this <laughs> liability stuff? Uh, yes, I did. You did. Okay. Yeah. Answered. Canon, okay. I want you, I want go. the uh, expert opinion on like why um, all of the attacks that Kevin McAllister, you know, implemented, how come they didn't do more damage? Um, I have seen, there are article after article. Like I was reading this article on vice that like went through every injury that the wet bandits (laughs) had or like their injuries. And then it was like this, they should have gone to the hospital. They wouldn't have survived this. And then people actually have tried some of Kevin's booby traps uh, in real life. Um, that's that's how much this that's, is like. That's, like. that's like getting an anvil and seeing if you can, you know, yeah. hoist it out of a top window and see if you can crush somebody below or a piano. I mean, you know, it's like, I don't think you should take your tips from anything too uh, Acme-like. Anything with Acme on the side. Right. right. So I uh, was watching this and it reminded me of another Christmas movie, ah. uh, Die Hard. <laughs> If you recall, Stop. in Die Hard, uh, in in both in both movies, you've got characters stepping on glass, and uh, in Die Hard, there's a very realistic portrayal of what happens 
when you've got glass shards in your bare and the soles of your bare feet, whereas in Home Alone, uh, one of the wet bandits steps on Christmas ornaments and gets these shards of glass uh, jammed up at his feet, but then he just oh, and also steps on a nail. I should also <laughs> mention, Rusty. but then just walks around without a limp, w- without uh-huh. w- wincing in pain with every step. Um, you know, he got up pretty quickly after getting hit in the, in the face with an iron yeah, that wait, had wait, fallen wait, maybe wait, 14 wait, feet. It, it sounds like you're suggesting that certain small elements of this movie were perhaps um, unbelievable or, or oh, less yeah. than authentic. Really? Oh, yeah. It would, be, it would be neat to see, you know, the autopsy report on someone who <laughs> actually suffered all of the injuries that the wet bandits <laughs> suffered. Because that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, they that would really would make your, your holiday really happy. I wonder what if these yeah. things would really happen. What what would it be like in the emergency room if they had to painstakingly remove each shard of glass from the fleshy part of the foot? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're thinking like or, a health policy guy. Or now. what uh-huh. the bill would look like, right? We only know. That's right. Like, right. Oh, it would be You'd never know before you went in. Right. Is the truth. Right? <laughs> Depends on whether it's in network, out of network, whether you're insured, whether you're not insured. And it's a holiday weekend, you know. That's you tough. didn't know this was, this was going to be, end up being a health policy podcast, but no. Yeah, I would guess that everything with you might be. <laughs> well, Lenore, that, you know, since we were talking and sort of going towards uh, – Canon's specialty there. I, I maybe will pivot more to to something that you are, you know, consider yourself more of an expert in. Do you think that sort of the concept of Kevin being left alone, you know, you know, being left to his own devices and mm-hmm. having free reign over this palatial mansion <laughs> uh, in suburban yeah. Chicago? Is this something that his parents needed to worry about? Because you've got his mom on one side, yeah. played by the phenomenal, as always, Amazing. Catherine O'Hara. Yes. Oh, um, right. And she's panicked and rushing home, you know, uh, hitching a ride with John Candy and the the polka band uh, out of Milwaukee. <laughs> and then there's Kevin's dad, who basically is like, well, you know... W- you know, there's we'll probably there some money stashed there. somewhere. He'll be <laughs> fine. So is one of them more right than the other? Is, the, is there a sort of line in between that is like the best thing for Kevin? What, what are your what's your take on the sort of uncertain conflict in the movie? Well, let's look at the facts. Certainly it launched Kevin's career. Right. I mean, he, he had a good long run since then. I don't actually know what he's up to now. And um, what I would really worry about as the mom or the dad is uh, government intervention for having left a child home alone. I'm dealing today, I'm writing a piece for Reason just today about another holiday incident. Uh, This was last year, a mom in Tucson, Arizona had to go get a turkey for guess what? Thanksgiving. And people got to get it. It's, it's It's as simple as that. You don't have a choice if you want to have a a big meal with your family. And she had her seven-year-old with her and his buddy, who's five. And it's COVID, and so she doesn't want to take them into the grocery because you're not supposed to expose them to COVID, and you don't want them to possibly exposing anybody else if, God forbid, they have it. This was last year. There was no vaccine or anything. And so uh, she said, well, why don't you guys wait here? And she takes them to a park near the grocery where she used to play as a kid, right? And her friend is teaching a Tai Chi class there. Another friend is walking her dog there. And she tells the kids, just stay in this one little area. I'll be back when I get the turkey. She goes to the store. 
And the next thing you know, the Tai Chi lady is running into the store looking for her saying, guess what? Her name is Shay. Guess what, Shay? There's police talking to your kid over at the park. Come on. And so they race back to the park. And sure enough, there's two cops. And they say, did you leave these kids here? And it's like, yeah, because I had to get the turkey and I like this park and it's safe. And they're like, oh, no, it's not safe. Oh, no, forget it. And they arrest her for endangering, uh, what is it, criminal endangerment of a child. And one of them says, you know, no child is allowed to be unsupervised until they're 18. <laughs> right? I'm sorry, Which, what? Uh, turns out to be, <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Huh? <laughs> a, a bald-faced lie. Um, but the, uh, in fact, the charges are, uh, you know, she's, she's literally charged with this crime. And the, the rationale for it is that a child could have been and then you go through all the things and it really sounds like almost a home alone laundry list. It's like, you know, he could have been abducted. He could have been murdered. They could have taken drugs. They could have been, you know, put in a white van. And it's like, are you allowed <laughs> to just dream up any, you know, almost um, diehard like, uh, you know, scenario and arrest me because my mind wasn't going to, you know, movies like that. My mind did not immediately go to an action movie. And so they ended up uh, doing a plea bargain where she could have gone to jail for a year, right? They're worried about her not supervising her kids for, I don't know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. But instead, they're threatening to take her away from her kids for a year. That's a year of non-supervision. Or she could go take a, um, a parenting class. And so I think as I would, she takes the plea bargain, says, okay, I'm guilty, takes the parenting class. And the parenting class turns out to be not for parents. It's for anybody that they arrested in, in recent days, including somebody who, who'd like shaked her cell phone at a policeman in anger and somebody else who'd been in a hair salon and ended up pulling the lady's hair because they got into an argument. So it doesn't sound like a big time, like this is how you express attachment and this is how you do a timeout. It was just a class and all the teacher taught them, and I actually think it's probably a very good lesson, is how to approach a policeman, how not to get in a fight oh with a policeman. Oh my gosh. <laughs> So she takes it and you think that'd be it. But now she's facing charges from, you know, the police handed over to Child Protective Services. And they are saying the same thing, that she put the children in danger of this, that and the other. And um, unless she can prove her innocence against things that didn't happen, <laughs> um, she will be put on what's known as a child abuse register. All the states have them. It's like a sex offense registry, except it's private. So, so when you talk about what's Catherine O'Hara racing back, I would be racing back hoping like, please let me get there before the cops. Please let me get there before Child Protective Services, because that's a whole can of worms that, you know, bandits have nothing on them. Also, realistically speaking, like I was wondering this watching the watching the film more recently, wouldn't like because remember, they're calling the police from like the airport in Paris and they're like calling all these people trying to get someone to check on Kevin at home. And at, they're being the like they're being. Yeah, exactly. That's why I was like, don't call the police. Um, right. They're like they're going through like all these obstacles to try and get someone to check on Kevin. It's almost like no one cares. But like, mm -hmm. wouldn't the wouldn't. CPS beyond this like white on rice like if if someone called like Actually, there there is uh, you know you want to keep hearing stories I'll keep telling you stories there was <laughs> a mom who was uh, living in Texas and she had to go believe it or not to Kuwait for a weekend because she was thinking of moving the family there her husband was deployed near there he was in the military and her older daughter was fifteen and her son was twelve and she made exactly the same like a million. Um, uh, arrangements. So in the morning when her son had to be taken to school, it would be he'd be taken by the neighbor across the way. In the afternoons, her daughter, who's 15 and homeschools herself online because she traveled around so much as an army brat, um, takes care of the neighbor's kids 
And at night, the neighbors, the neighbor, the parents of those kids would sort of check in on the girl and her brother and make sure everything was okay. And, and the mom really, you know, trusted something, which was her friends, her community, her kids. She knew them all and she made it work. And the kids didn't want to come to Kuwait. She was actually willing to take them to Kuwait. And it's like, you're talking 15 and 12. So what happens is the first day that she's gone, that Friday morning, the woman across the street who's supposed to take her 12-year-old can't for some reason. So she calls somebody else to take him in. Who does she call? She calls the school resource officer. <laughs> ooh, ooh. Then, and uh, she takes the kid to school, but meantime, she alerts her partner and um, somebody goes to the house and interrogates the 15-year-old. They throw her in the cop car. They take her to the school where the 12-year-old is. And um, they're trying to get the, to the mom, who's still on a plane, to Kuwait. And in the end, they, they, they said that she was, you know, incredibly um, a horrible parent. And they threaten her. I can't even remember the details, but they threaten her with uh, arrest for having left her children uncared for. But there is something about uh, trusting your friends and community and, and a 15-year-old who's lived around the world and a 12-year-old, too. Most recently, they lived in Japan with being able to handle some things. And, and if it didn't go perfectly, which obviously this one didn't, that's not the end of the world. And, and what great grates on me is when you have a government that rather than like seeing that this is a mom who's making things work, uh, only sees, but something bad could have happened and, and goes straight to that dark place and, and doesn't realize that they're the bad thing happening. <laughs> they are involving the mom in something that will cost her it cost her her job because while she's fighting these charges, she's on, you know, she's considered a child abuser. So she was a teacher. She can't be a teacher. And meanwhile, paying a lawyer. And meanwhile, the, the, the 15 year old has been dragged from her home and traumatized. And well, I remember why it's a cool story. In the end, everything was found fine with the mom. And now they have found that they can actually sue the, 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 the two the two people who came to the home and took the 15-year-old from there because she had been asking, can I please call my dad? And they said, no, you cannot make a phone call. So she couldn't even call her father. And she's in the back of the crop car. Can I please call my dad? No, you may not. And then they got to the school. And once again, she wasn't allowed to call her dad. And in the end, um, I have to say some court in Texas, and I don't know the names of courts, it might've been an appellate court or whatever, um, said that you have no qualified immunity for that. You knew that you were supposed to allow that child to call her father and you didn't. And so they can sue the Child Protective Services people. Nice. Cannon, would you ever would you ever leave your kids uh, home alone for 15 minutes while you went to go pick up a turkey? Am I going to incriminate myself <laughs> if I say yes? <laughs> Uh, Disguise your voice. We, yes, we I, and and we have done that. Um, and and what Lenore was describing reminded me of the uh, the Thomas Paine line for uh, common sense when he said, "For when we suffer or are exposed to the same miseries by a government, which we might expect in a country without government, our calamity is heightened because we are furnishing the means by which we suffer." And what people are afraid of when. The, you leave your own kid at home alone or you see other people's kids, is that someone is going to come and take your kids away. You know, that that is a fear. Mm -hmm. And that is what's happening here. <laughs> but it's the people taking your kids away or the government, not some, um, you know, uh, not, not quote, Joe bad Pesci. guy. Right. Not, right. Right. not some yeah. other bad guy, I should say. And, right. and there, there's an interesting uh, – Thing that occurred to me when I was watching Home Alone for 
in preparation for this podcast, Lenore mentioned uh, uh, the, the the fear that the government will uh, would get to the kids first, or the you know don't invite the government um, into this situation. This is the first time I watched Home Alone where it occurred to me that all of this could have been avoided if they had just not let Joe Pesci in in the fake cop uniform at the beginning of the movie. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. This is the first time I watched it uh, and realized, wait a second, there's a cop inside the house. Someone had to let him inside the house. Who let the cop inside the house? That was the first time I noticed it too. I wrote that down. I was like, where's his warrant? (laughs) Now, now you might say, you might say, well, he's not a cop. He's not a cop. And so if he was, he might've come in the house without being invited in because he's not actually a cop. But then (laughs) someone should have had the presence of mind to say, whoa, you're, you're a cop in our house. Who let you in? And then if he didn't, you know, uh, so that if they had just addressed that situation correctly then i guess there would have been i guess there would have been no movie and so but uh but the whole situation could have been avoided i my take on the situation being avoided is that had they just ordered more cheese pizza more plain <laughs> pizza at the table then kevin wouldn't have ended up in the attic getting punished they wouldn't have forgotten for spilling them. the milk yeah. and he wouldn't have been forgotten i don't i don't know about that i'm a younger brother uh, <laughs> and so i think no matter how much cheese pizza you ordered buzz would have eaten it yes <laughs> and as a as a, a a fellow youngest sibling uh on this podcast i do have to say and this is very much sort of framed in the film is everything is from kevin's perspective um, it doesn't seem like that at first, but an unreliable narrator. It, 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 <laughs> yes, and, it's a, and they don't it call. It's not that they don't call attention to it, but it, there is some distance that gets created later. But it's very, very clear when Kevin is being berated by his family, by all of his siblings and cousins, and then when he finally has his, you know, tantrum that he throws, where he runs into his brother and knocks over the the soda and spills it all over the passports that the dad then puts in. It's oh, milk. It's, that's right. His, his, re, his real life brother, uh, Kieran Culkin mm-hmm. is drinking the Pepsi. That's right. Um, but I think it's the father who knocks over the Pepsi and he puts the passports. Blamed yes. And he, but he not, he puts the passports in the microwave to dry them out. Red flag. Number one. <laughs> I, I would do that. No, I would do that. That makes sense. Does it? You know? Would that not like yeah, I burn? Think so. the... Why, what, you wouldn't put them in the oven. That'd be worse. <laughs> right? Flame. I'm not a scientist. Um, but <laughs> I'm a younger brother. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's about as, that's my claim to fame. Um, but it, all of the the sort of admonishments that he then receives from his brother and his uncle who, who calls him a little jerk, there is this like downward sort of framing from his point of view. The, the camera literally takes us into his point of view and we see things through his eyes. So we're seeing him, everyone else is, you know, doing their own thing and running around this madcap like farce of a house as everyone's trying to get ready for this incredibly expensive family flight to Paris that yeah, the mysterious the uncle family does. is paying for. <laughs> I don't know. But you're seeing all of this from his perspective, which is why 
everyone seems to be doing all of this stuff. And then when they do address Kevin, it's only with negatives. He feels picked on. So you get very, very early on that Kevin doesn't feel like he's respected as a member of this family, which a lot of kids, you know, tend to. He has no agency. Right. He has no agency. No self-agency. And that's sort of being reflected in the way that he views the world and his family, which is that they are all against him uh, in that way. So it's like, I I don't know, it becomes this slippery slope where you could also then say, like, well, if there hadn't been a snowstorm, then they would have had phone lines and he could have called someone to help. Or, you know, if he had just been treated right, like those things, you know, like you keep worrying about the verisimilitude of this movie. (laughs) Yeah, it's like it kind of ruins. (laughs) Yeah, right. When you worry about that, it does take something away. So you can, you know, part everything. Yeah, you can parse out the messaging like that. But to a certain extent, there's, you know, vanishing returns there, I think. Right. And no chance of a sequel. (laughs) Well, it's true. I mean, like, let's go towards the the psychological tack that you're taking, which is here's a child who feels he has no agency. Right. Other people um, get to do things and be grown up and he's a a nothing and a nobody. And then, of course, the rest of the movie is him uh, recognizing just how powerful and uh, creative and capable he can, and perhaps sadistic and crazy that he can be. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's the hero's journey, right? From, from nobody to, um, to success on his own terms and recognition that, um, you know, he's become, I would say he's become a, a man, but obviously there's so many sequels that he couldn't become a man quite yet, <laughs> um, not a man in full. But that's what I talk about all the time. I feel like, you know, to, to, to take a turn to sort of the real world, which is where canon keeps seeming to want to go. Um, you, you know, we have kids who are so uh, overprotected and allowed to do so little today um, by a culture. And then as we just were talking about before, sometimes by the government, you can't even play in the park without somebody coming and arresting your mom. Um, it's, it's um, you feel terrible. You feel like the world is, you know, the world is for other people and not you and you're nobody and you're a bonsai tree. You're an embryo. You're, you're just you're not a activated tree. yet. Right, right, right. I always think of kids as bonsai trees. They look so perfect. They are perfect because every day the parent comes and prunes them, but they never get to grow. And it's like, gee, that's nice. Wasn't that supposed to be an oak tree? You know, it's like, it is an oak tree, but I need a magnifying glass. It's my oak tree. Well, I'm not sure that's what the oak tree wanted to be, but Okay. So, so Kevin gets his, 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 his acorn, he's planted, and he gets to grow. I mean, that's the thing. Like, they, they take the greenhouse off him, and off he goes to become a person. And that's all I try to do every day is try to make, uh, you know, sort of the country recognize that keeping kids so safe and stunt, so safe that they're stunted is not really doing them any favors, especially when what we're protecting them from is sometimes a fantasy uh, on, the, on the level of, uh, you know, Home Alone. So I've wondered, uh, Lenore, what do you what do you uh, attribute, or to what do you attribute the uh, apparently uh, growing tendency of not just individual parents, but also uh, 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 I hate to say, to say society, uh, but uh, other parents, like other to say adults. Society. It is society. Well, well, but but that's that's a little amorphous. That's a little amorphous. There are it's not everybody in society, but there are other adults out there Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who are taking a more active role in raising other people's kids by sounding the alarm and calling the cops and shaming parents for the decisions that they're making. 
is this a growing trend? Uh, and to what do you attribute that trend? That's so interesting. Um, you know, I think one of the sort of the uh, unsung reasons that more people are calling the cops saying, oh, I saw a kid in the car um, and they were in front of the dry cleaning shop. And it's like, okay, what about it? Well, there was a lady inside waving to them, but still the child was in a car like, okay. And she, you know, and the mother came back out in three minutes, but still, you know, people are calling to, to shame and blame parents. But I think one of the reasons is that they have phones. Right. I mean, I have no idea what kind of a busybody culture we would have been, you know, 25 years ago before it was so easy to whip out your phone and either take a video or call the authorities. Because had you seen a parent that you thought was being irresponsible, uh, you would have to remember and get home, you know, and go straight home where, where there was your phone and then call and say, well, she's probably still not at uh, Eden's Plaza, but in case she was, she was in front of the dry cleaner store and the kids were in the car for three minutes. So so part of the reason is simply the the ease with which we can um, insert ourselves into other people's lives and, and painlessly. We can do it and not even confront the mom. You can do it and leave be, you know, and see the cop car going on the way there and nod to yourself, you know, ha ha ha, and never, never even have to talk to the mom and say, why did you leave your kids in the car? It's like, I left my kids in the car because they're triplets, they were asleep, and I'm picking up the dry cleaning. Don't you think that makes sense? So um, anyways, I, I think that that's one of the reasons, and it's sort of forgotten often, just that we didn't used to have the ability to, you know, to basically to have the cops in our pocket. Right. I've wondered. So that's interesting because I've wondered about the role that technology plays, uh, and we'll stick with the phone. That same phone that a lot was that makes it so much easier for a person to call the cops. Uh, all also tells me uh, on a daily basis about all sorts of horrors in the world yes, that I yes, yes. didn't know about before. Uh, it makes me a parent and other parents more aware of things that can happen to children makes me think that they are more common than they actually are and makes me afraid. Uh, and at the same time, that same phone, if I'm the bad parent, if I'm the one who leaves the kid in the car, uh, let's leaves the kid at home alone, leaves the kid at the playground by herself, uh, and, and then that blows up on social media, then I have the entire world shaming me mm -hmm. for that through mm -hmm. this same phone. And so I have wondered, you know, how much of this is just a result of the the plummeting cost of information and communications uh, that's sort of made a lot of people go crazy and led to some crazy outcomes. Uh, oh, combined with, you know, no, our, oh our – I was our, just formulating my answer and now you're throwing in something else. No. Well, well, combined, <laughs> no. with, combined with the natural human uh, tendency to, uh, to, to want to avoid shame. Which I think both fuels, yes. with both, which both fuels the reporting and uh, the fear, uh, and each you know, individual parents' decisions not to let their kids do things that they might otherwise. Wow, you've just like said so many things that I have so many thoughts about, and they're all fascinating. But I'm going to divide them into two. Okay, first was the idea that like the phone brings us so much information about terrible things happening in the phone, you know, your computer, your TV, you know, some of us even have radios. Imagine that. Tell me more, grandma, what's a radio? Um, <laughs> but we are bombarded with way more um, horrible stories than ever before because, you know, the media is not there to inform you. It's And I speak as a new, former daily news reporter for 14 years, New York daily news reporter. The media is there to make money. 
And the thing that makes them the most money is whatever gets them the most eyeballs. And the story that gets the most eyeballs is the story of a white middle or upper middle class child, um, you know, hopefully as cute as Macaulay, um, you know, harmed by a stranger. And so they will go to the ends of earth. They went to Portugal for the story of Maddie McCann, um, because that is a story that will grip viewers that you can show over and over again. And then you know, the, the, the Law and Order and all the other shows uh, that are based on the news or ripped from the headlines, just sort of reiterate them. And your brain works like Google. And usually if you ask Google a, a question like, are there, um, you know, where can I stay in Washington, D.C., uh, where there's a cheap Airbnb, you know, up come the answers, right? And, and they're listed and the top one is the most relevant and then they get less relevant and you barely ever go to the second page, right? And, and you're grateful because your mind, uh, or because Google has given you results that are relevant. But then if you ask your mind, is my kid safe home alone? <laughs> and up comes this mishmash of, look, there's, you know, there's Macaulay Culkin, and then there's the story of Elizabeth Smart, and then there's the story of J.C. Dugard. And the, the easiest stories to recall are the most vivid and horrifying, because you've heard them for years and you've seen video of them. But the idea that they're relevant is wrong because they are the least common. That's why you can call them up. You can't call up all the pictures in your mind of the trillions of kids who have stayed home alone in the last, uh, you know, since since John Hughes made this movie without, you know, um, mayhem, without anything happening, you know, with eating a graham cracker and, and reading a book. So so your mind, by being exposed to these horrible stories and by being human, um, ends up recalibrating your sense of the odds. And uh, Canon, you're the only one balding on this <laughs> that little uh, podcast here. So let me ask you a question, which is, did you play outside or did you stay home alone when you were a kid or did you walk to school? So uh, all of those things, the, uh, you know, <laughs> playing outside, you know, I, I was one of five children and uh, sometimes, you know, mom would say, get out of the house uh, and, you know, we all have to go on adventures on our bicycles. And I did that in a way that my kids don't or at least don't yet. Uh, because, and, and I think about, you know, how far from home I wandered and how out of uh, – how incommunicado I was. And right now, I'd rather my kids not be incommunicado. You know, I'd rather them take a phone with them and – uh, and and I wonder if I'm right to want that. Walking to school, I think I walked, you know, uh, a mile or something to school. And I told my kids the other day as I was dropping them off at the bus stop, or not to drop, dropping them off at the bus stop, walking Standing to the bus, to stop, the bus stop and uh, wait, waiting for the bus with them, that the three – I rode a bus for three years in elementary school. You should have gotten and off at some point. And I don't remember <laughs> – <laughs> I don't remember ever – uh, having a parent be there at the bus never, stop. There's never a never, parent at the bus never, stop. Never. And now at, there's uh, all the parents are, are at the bus I know, stop. And they're waving like it's going off to NAMM. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. I mean, and when, you know, you don't want to blame society, but I must because there's no way that you would be doing that if everyone wasn't doing that. And it's not even fear of blame or shame. It's just become the norm. And then there are schools that won't let the kids get off the bus unless there is an adult there to walk them home. And it doesn't matter if they're walking them home, you know, two blocks, two miles, or two houses. The, the bus driver is not allowed to let the child off the bus without a chaperone. And so you've gotten to a society that's starting to think 
that any time a child is unsupervised, even for the amount of time it would take for the bus to come, even with five other parents at the bus stop, that's too dangerous. So you have this, once again, this, this, this inflation of danger that is not matched by any reality. If you look at the crime stats and if you go to letgrow.org, my site, L-E-T-G-R-O-W.org, and you click on crime stats, just go to the FBI. I, I stole them from them. <laughs> I stole something from the FBI. Um, <laughs> the, the, the crime stats show crime going down, 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 down since 93. It went up a little last year with COVID, but it's still way down. And so the idea that we have to be there because times have changed so much is what, what has changed is our perception and our inability to accept the minute risk that comes with letting your kids you know, wait at the bus stop with some other kids in a in a safe neighborhood. I mean, I'm talking about a safe neighborhood. If you're in a dangerous neighborhood, obviously it's different. But I see this across the country, and it has nothing to do with actual danger. It has to do with a perception that bad parents are the ones who take their eyes off their kids for a few seconds and go get the turkey, for instance. And good parents are either with their kids um, physically or, like you were suggesting before, electronically. They can track them. They know where they are all the time. And and let me ask you this. This is a this is a hypothetical that I don't even know if it makes sense. But would you have wished that your mother knew what you were doing all the time when you were off on your bike and you were off with your buddies? No, dear God, no. <laughs> no. Why not? Um, because it's not it's not to uh, have someone watching you all the time. Nobody likes being monitored all the time because it does deny you agency. It does uh, prevent growth. Um, in my defense, the 12 year old walks to the bus stop by himself. Good. There you That's go, really Cannon. Cool. Um, All right, right on. I'm talking about I'm talking about the eight year olds, and it is a very safe neighborhood. I mean, uh, look at all the parents at the bus stop. You know, <laughs> yeah. They, there's so many parents there that I you know. might, it'll probably be very <laughs> like, safe. Like move away, right? Right now the kids are on the street. There's so so little space at the bus stop. I I don't have children, but I'm the youngest of four, and my parents trusted my older siblings to walk with the to the bus stop with me because we all got on the same bus since we went to um, a private school that was further away. But and my parents never really you know hesitated to to leave my older brother in charge, which <laughs> you know. It can backfire in some cases. Right, when... they should have hesitated. Yeah. <laughs> we'll call him Buzz. Yeah, <laughs> yeah really. Um, so anyway, so so the all I want to say is that by the time we are all, I walked my kids to school. I mean, I did it too, and nobody walked me to school. So it's, it is something in the culture. I think you're fine blaming society because it's not like, you individually decided I'm going to hover. It's not like I said, oh, I would never let my kid go to school alone. What kind of crazy person does that? It's just that everybody walks their kids to school. That's just the way there is. I, I actually once interviewed a guy at down in at our street when I was at, um, in D.C. And he was walking. He said he walks his kid like three houses down to the bus stop. And then the daughter was seven. And I said, why? And he said, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So that is a social thing. And actually, yesterday, um, there was a lady from uh, Tokyo who called me because she was doing a story about helicopter parenting. She lives in D.C. And she said, I don't even understand it myself. My kid is 12. And when we go back to Japan, she goes all around by herself. And, you know, and everybody celebrate in Japan. There's actually a, a television show called My First Errand where they film a kid's first errand. And sometimes it's like the five year old taking the three year old. You know, sometimes the kids are crying. They don't know where to go. They're a little scared, but they have to go get that, you know, all the makings actually of dinner. 
And so you see them go to the fruit stand and they get some fruit and then they go to the butcher shop and they're confused. And of course, they're also being followed by a camera crew. But, you know, <laughs> at, at last they finally say whatever the word is in Japanese for, you know, soup bones. And they get that. And, and the country loves this show because it reminds them all of the joy of when you're first trusted to be a competent person, to be, you know, somebody in the world. I mean, that's why people love Home Alone. You know, he didn't cower in the, the, the attic waiting for his parents to come home and eating rats. People love to see this, but we take that out of our own kids' lives. And so she said when she's back in America, living in Maryland, she doesn't let her kid do anything because she's in this other culture. And it just doesn't allow for it. So I think you can blame the culture. And what I'm trying to change is the culture. Because if a, if a school won't allow your child to self-dismiss, which always sounds weird, you know, <laughs> sounds like jail or something. Um, and, and, if the, you know, and if people are going to call the police when they see a child playing in a park, God forbid, playing in a park, and if the police are going to come and Child Protective Services is going, to, is going to be able to fantasize what if they had been abducted, even though they're surrounded by people who know and love them, then you are, you're dealing with a reality that is warped and, and insisting that you do strange things and, and stunting the kids to the point where there's, there's three professors now at Georgetown who are studying whether the window... You know, kids are supposed to play and have some experiences and be part of the world and, you know, goof up a little and get get a little hurt. And, and that's how they start calibrating, like, what's safe, what's not, who's nice, how do you get along, um, you know, should I do this, is that going to hurt? And and that's how you become, you, you know, you could call it street smart or you could call it wise at risk assessment. Um, they're professors, so they call it risk assessment. But what they're worried about is that in America, that the 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 window of time that that is supposed to happen for a kid closes at some point. You know, you're supposed to start exploring the world as a toddler, and then, you know, eventually you're supposed to have achieved that certain competence in understanding the world. And, and they're worried that the kids are getting so little independence so late in America that they miss the window. The window shuts just like it shuts on learning a language without an accent. You can learn a language when you're 15, 17, 22, but you won't be as fluent or as fluid as if you had learned it as a normal part of your life when you were younger. And, and they're seeing that kids in other countries have much more um, accurate sense of what is dangerous than American young men and women because they think that everything's dangerous because they never had a chance to start making the different gradations. And one of the teachers there was saying that she's a sociology teacher. And one of the things they have to do, they, they have the kids do is go to another part of DC by public transportation, you know, get coffee and talk to a stranger. And the kids aren't doing that. They're taking an Uber. They're going to a Starbucks. The stranger is just the barista. They say, my name is Lenora. I'd like a latte. And then they Uber back because they're so unfamiliar with dealing with the world. So when you have a culture that is stunting the kids that way to the point where they think everything is dangerous except Starbucks and Uber, you have to recalibrate. And that's what Let Grow is doing. We're trying to make it easier and normal and legal to give kids back some independence, just like you're giving your 12-year-old, because obviously you feel it is important. There is a lot in there. One of the interesting things about what you said, uh, Lenore, is from my perspective as an economist, is that uh, 
those kids perceive Uber as safe, which is funny. If you remember the debates about Uber, Uber first launched, people were saying, oh, my God, you're going to get into a car with a stranger? And now that is completely flipped because people recognize that because of the 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 branding of Uber and the liability and the things that they do to to um, to screen their drivers that Uber is very safe and uh, that that it's, that it's interesting to me how that presumption is completely flipped from Uber being uh, dangerous to Uber being safe. I will say I was a little nervous about coming onto this podcast with Lenore Skenazy oh because. Don't because I'm also a because I'm when, helicopter on my mom's side. Don't ever worry. I'm not. <laughs> because because I I began to examine when Landry and Natalie told me that you you were going to be the other guest. I began to examine my own parenting decisions, and I thought, gosh, yeah. I just I just yelled at my daughter for standing on top of the toilet tank. I mean, should I have should that I have done scary. that? No, no, no. The only thing I'm not and scared then, of is strangers. So anything else you do, I'm with you. No, that sounds terrible. And, Get her off the toilet. And and and. and, and but then I also, in watching Home Alone, I uh, you, you remember Kevin at one point creates a zip line from the house to the treehouse, which is an impressive feat of engineering. Um, <laughs> and I, and, and I, I was thinking, I, I was thinking, would my kids be able to do the sort of things that Kevin was doing? And nobody, it reminded me nobody, that that, no. that that same daughter, that same daughter, and a and a friend of hers uh, from the neighborhood made their own zip line in the backyard between a tree and the trampoline. And I mean oh a God. functional a functional zip line. It wasn't safe. I mean, this thing <laughs> could, could have unraveled and they could have lost an entire row of teeth on the edge of that trampoline. But I have – before I told them – I thought it was so awesome that before I told them to stop – I, I did take video of it. I, I let the I, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I, I, I took video of it, so I could commend them for their engineering prowess. Before I said, "But no, no, you're not gonna, no, you're not gonna do that." Um, uh, I then did go actually build a longer, uh, more secure zip line in the backyard for them, partly out of guilt for shutting down their zip line. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, the thing is that people think that I'm um, like a daredevil. Like I'm thinking like a zip line. Oh, my God. I've never been on a zip line. Right. I mean, people have this impression of me as like, uh, you know, Athena or something. And actually, I'm just a, a nervous Jewish mom in New York who doesn't worry about the subway. That's all it is. The only thing I don't worry about is the subway. I worry about literally every other thing. I'm trying to find a cheap way of doing cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm just so nervous, but not about strangers. That's it. And now for our favorite time in the show, where we get to share all of our other favorite holiday films on this very special Pop and Lock episode. This is Locked In. So, Lenore, uh, Cannon, what are some of your favorite uh, other holiday movies? They do not need to be in the Home Alone hexology. (laughs) Uh, There are six, I found out. Home Alones 1, 2, and 4 are all about Kevin McAllister, even though they recast him in Home Alone 4. I could go all day. I went on a deep dive on Wikipedia. What what are your favorite holiday films? Um, I'm going to jump in here because it's not my favorite holiday film. It's my favorite film, period. Miracle on 34th Street. Ah, uh, good one. I, we've just established I'm a Jew. So why, am I, <laughs> why is that my favorite movie? Because it's the most fantastic movie ever. It's faith is believing when common sense tells you not to. It is a, it, 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 I think it gave me my whole philosophy of life, which is that, you know, you actually are, 
you're not only nicer, you're more powerful, the more help you give to other people. You know, if Macy's doesn't have it, we'll send it to Gimbal's. We'll send them to Gimbal's. Um, that's just a very helpful um, philosophy to have in life. And, I, I, you know, I moved to New York, possibly because of that movie. I've done story after story on Macy's when I was a reporter, possibly because of that movie. I went up to that floor where they were supposed to have toys and for a while, they didn't even have toys. Macy's had fallen on hard times, and I think they had like large appliances, or maybe it was sofas in what should have been the toy department. And I thought that was a travesty. And um, and also, you know, I let my son ride the subway, and he had to take the subway to Thirty Fourth Street. So to me, that is a it's a it's a miracle of a movie, and it makes me love New York even more. And um, and if you haven't seen it, please don't watch any color version of it. Just watch the old black and white one with Natalie Wood. And we don't have to talk about Natalie Wood. <laughs> the tragedies <laughs> that ensued. <laughs> In the category of old black and white movies about Christmas, uh, it's a it's a wonderful life takes the cake for me. Um, I have not introduced my kids to that. I think that they're you know probably old enough for that. I've I've been trying to uh, when I think about Christmas movies, I think about what am I going to introduce my kids to this year. I've tried A Christmas Story in the past. For some reason, they didn't really gravitate to that one. Although lots of uh, childhood independence and agency and risk-taking in that one. Um, uh, <laughs> what I'm very excited about this year is uh, at the ages of 12, 8, and 8, I think my kids are now old enough for Die Hard. And I'm really <laughs> wow. excited to show them that one. Um <laughs> Uh, which which is, of course, a Christmas movie. Uh, there's a lot of inappropriate language in there. Uh, we're trying to teach them about when it is and isn't appropriate to use those words. And <laughs> uh, and I think I think this is this is this is the year. So I'm excited to show them that. And and in addition, um, uh, you know, for myself, uh, Christmas movies. What's what's the what's the one with all the different lives that everyone's this oh, very schmaltzy and. Um... It's British. Love oh actually. God, actually. Love actually. Yeah, that thing. I keep telling myself I should watch that, and I maybe I will try to do that this year. Uh, I haven't yet, but what I'm with regard to the kids, I'm I'm excited to. I'm, I'm an aficionado of irreverent Christmas music, like all of the South Park holiday songs and Blink One Eighty Two and so forth. And I'm very excited to slowly, gradually introduce my kids. Uh, to those, uh, that's that's my favorite part of the Christmas season is all of the irreverent Christmas music. Some of it they're just not ready for yet, but little by little. So, in fact, uh, on on the drive back from Thanksgiving, uh, I I introduced them to uh, Arlo Guthrie's Alice's Restaurant because that's that's a classic Thanksgiving song. Uh, they actually took to that, and I got really excited about int introducing them to. Uh, uh, other irreverent holiday music as well. Wait, I thought of another movie, by the way, um, yeah. and its own little poignant anecdote, which is um, a Charlie Brown Christmas. Obviously, uh, fantastic. And Peter Gray, who I work with, who wrote the book um, uh, "Free to Learn." He's a fantastic professor of psychology and believes that kids learn best when they're playing, and it's hard to get information into them when they're bored. Um, but he said that he had been talking to somebody who, whose kid thought that everything about Charlie Brown was a fantasy like you know there's a dog and he can talk and he has a friend who's a bird and the kids are outside and they're not with their parents 
that's what they thought was fantasy. They're, they couldn't imagine, they thought it was all made up because could you imagine children outside either trick-or-treating or, you know, making a snowman or uh, playing football for better or worse without adults there? And when we talk about society versus individuals and whole societies raising kids who can't even imagine being outside without adults, thinking that that's as made up as, you, you know, uh, Rocky, whatever, I'm trying to think of Bugs Bunny, as made up as Bugs Bunny, um, then you're in a weird culture, period. My, I, Landry, you know this, my, my guilty pleasure at Christmas time is the bad Hallmark Christmas movies. I watch them all. Um, <laughs> and and it they're terrible. They're terrible movies. It's basically the same movie over and over again, just like a slightly different D-level cast. Um, but they're entertaining. Um, you have them all in the background. I just got out of rehab. I'll work on a rehab for yeah. Hallmark movie. <laughs> and, uh, I'm blanking on the one that I really like, but Landry likes it too, Night. It's the one with the ghosts. Oh, oh, I'm going to talk end. about it. Don't worry. Okay, it's, all right, it's perfect. Called, it's called The Spirit of Christmas. And but the spirit oh, is it. a ghost. The um, spirit is a ghost because the young hotshot lawyer from Boston gets sent to like rural Vermont or somewhere <laughs> to oversee like the, the, the to oversee the sort of uh, the dispensing of a will and to figure out what happens with this old family in that has somehow been lost in the shuffle that has not, you know, been given to anyone and nobody wants to take it because it's haunted. But it's only haunted for the 12 days of Christmas and it's haunted <laughs> by a sexy Canadian ghost from the 1800s <laughs> who was murdered during the 12 days of Christmas in the inn and it is the best Christmas movie ever. I, I am writing this down. The Spirit of the Christmas? The Spirit of Christmas. Got it's, it. Okay. It's on at least one streaming service every year. You should be able to find it pretty easily. Um, and it's phenomenal. Um, that's my favorite Christmas film. Now, every time I try and think of one, I just go back to it. Um, I, I found it a, a handful of years ago, and nothing has topped it since. Wait, wait, wait. So you're not just being ironic. I mean, it is really Oh, I great, mean, right? I, I love it for all of the wrong reasons, but okay. I do genuinely enjoy watching it because of those reasons. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Um, I will also say if we're talking about irreverent, fun Christmas songs, I don't know, Canon, if you know about uh, Father Christmas by the Kinks, which is uh, which is <laughs> which is really fun. It's a great you know sort of rock and roll song. You know, very similar to like you yeah like you got me or something. But uh, it's about a, a group of uh, English hooligan ruffian children who uh, rough up and and uh uh mug uh, and they rob a guy dressed up as father christmas outside of a store and they the lyrics are father christmas give us some money don't mess around with those silly toys we'll beat you up if you don't hand it over leave the toys for the little rich boys <laughs> so it's a sort of fun irreverent you know play on Father Christmas, uh, and it, it's got a great hook. So I don't know if your kids uh, and a really wanna... powerful statement of the class struggle. Yeah, I don't know if you really want to teach your kids that it's fun to hold up people dressing as Santa Claus during the holiday season, but it is fun. Thanks for listening. As always, the best way to keep in touch with us and get more Pop and Lock content is to follow us on Twitter. You can find us at the handle at Pop and Lock Pod. That's pop, the letter N, lock with an E, like the philosopher, pod. 
Make sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. We look forward to unraveling your favorite show or movie next time. Pop and Lock is produced by me, Landry Ayers, and is co-hosted by Natalie Dowzicki. We're a project of libertarianism.org. To learn more, visit us on the web at www.libertarianism.org. <laughs>